Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Today's episode, we'll meet Tanisha, a 29-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as Black, heterosexual, monogamous, currently in a relationship, and Christian with an average body type. A few months ago, Tanisha interviewed me for her podcast, Choose Love, and we immediately shared a deep bond over the death of our mothers, who were also our best friends. During that conversation, Tanisha mentioned that she's a practicing Christian who had gone through a period of intentional celibacy as an adult. So, of course, you know I had to interview her here. In this conversation, she talks about her early conversations in internet chat rooms, needing alcohol in order to have sex, her choice to become celibate at age 23, and the relationship she's in now. I'm so pleased to introduce Tanisha. Tanisha, I'm so excited to talk to you. I had an opportunity to speak with you already when you interviewed me for your show. And it was such an interesting conversation that we wanted to turn the tables and have you on here. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. And I'm glad to follow up that conversation with a little bit more detail. Awesome. So because I love the concept of your podcast, can you just quickly tell us the name of it and how how and why you chose to start it? Yeah, for sure. The podcast is called the Choose Love Podcast. And we essentially just chronicle love stories and I mean, that's a simple description of it, but really how it started was as kind of my profound search for love in the world. Um, And it happened really after my mom passed away in 2017. And I was in this sort of toxic relationship um, and it just was not good. (laughs) And I finally like built up enough courage to break up with this guy. And I was feeling like, the relationship was going nowhere because like I didn't have love in my life. Like I didn't know what love was anymore. And that happened really as my mom passed away. And I think she kind of just took a piece of my heart along with her. And so literally I just started asking strangers. I was like trying to find love and to see if it really existed. And if, you know, the people's relationships that we see, like if there was really love there or if they were faking it. And so that's what we do. We talk to couples and now we're starting to talk to singles about their questions about love, about their journey through love and the good times and the hard times. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're doing. I love it. And I I felt so connected to you when you first told me that because I also lost my mom in 2015. And um, she was my best friend. And I similarly felt like she took a a piece of my heart with her. She will always have a piece of my heart. And I remember thinking at the time she passed that, like, oh, this is why people say they'll never love again, because this is so painful. The idea of going through this kind of loss again, is kind of unimaginable. But then for me, the idea of not having love in my life became more painful than the idea of losing that love. 
So, yeah, and that's that's so interesting that you said that because when I actually did open up myself to love again, it was really under that premise like are you willing to lose it? Mm-hmm. You know, are you willing to be hurt again because that's what you're signing up for, the good and, you know, eventually it's going to end whether that's in death or the breakup or however but are you willing to endure that part just so you can have the good that comes along with it yeah yeah well so i'm super excited to talk to you because i also know that you have a really interesting story around sexuality so let's let's switch our focus from love to sex <laughs> I love to talk about love. (laughs) So the first question I ask everyone is, what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Hmm. I, I don't know if I would consider this sexual pleasure, but I remember when I was in it had to be elementary school. Um, we were on the bus, like going home. And I don't know, I was near the front of the bus and I was with my friends. There was this boy in, like sitting in the seat in front of me. And out of nowhere, he just jumps up and kisses me. And like, it was a huge deal. It was like, oh my God, <laughs> like what is going on? Um, and I had to be about seven or eight at the time. Um, and it was just this big deal. And like the whole bus just started like laughing and like making fun of the situation. And I was just like embarrassed. Um, and so I actually think that actually might be an important part of my story. <laughs> it sounds like it. Were you embarrassed by the kiss itself because you didn't want or you did want the kiss or were you embarrassed by the attention that the kiss brought to you it was definitely about the attention Mm -hmm. definitely any attention like that still makes me uncomfortable to this day interesting so if we could remove the response from everyone else on the bus do you remember what your reaction was to the kiss itself It was a real shock to me, but I honestly think that sparked my curiosity Uh (laughs) a lot more. Um, And I remember it was around like the time of AOL coming out and like, I got deep into like these chat rooms, like acting like an older person. Uh, But when you were still seven or eight, I got an email when I was eight years old. Wow. I was a latchkey kid, so I would get home and there would be no one else there. So I remember like logging on to AOL with through dial up. Yeah. Like, you know, getting in these chat rooms and acting as an older person. I guess I could type pretty well for an eight year old. <laughs> but we had like typing classes and things. So, I mean, I was definitely eight because my email address, I remember I made it zero eight at the end of it. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I was like chatting with these older guys. And, you know, sometimes they would get kind of sexual, but I never tried to like meet up with anyone. I was just very interested in like, you know, what is this world that is not like friendship, that is not family, but that is something more. So uh, what kinds of chat rooms were you going into? And how old were these guys? Were they teenagers? Or do you think they were adults? I think they were adults. Um, I hope they weren't. And I'm like, you have to, you have to know that I'm eight. Um, I can't imagine that I was hiding that very well. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I would go into chat rooms about, I think, like different interests. And I do remember them having like women seeking kind of chat rooms. Huh. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
I've never been a smooth talker, so Lord only knows what I was saying. (laughs) I mean, I probably was just talking about my interests, and then it would, like, escalate from there. But, yeah, I'm not smooth. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the conversations? Like, do you remember them, what they might have said to you as come-ons or anything like that? I don't remember any specifics, but I do remember like, you know, there were people that you would build up a relationship with. So I would like talk to this person or I mean, ended up being multiple people, but like you would talk to them for a period of time, maybe a week, a couple of months, like every day after I get off of school, (laughs) I'm logging on and like, they're my friends on the chat so they can see I'm on and we'll chat, chat and connect. Um, But I, I don't remember the content. I just know it couldn't have been that deep. I was Mm -hmm. eight. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And you said you were interested in these relationships that weren't family and weren't exactly friends. What, what were you learning about sex through these conversations and any other explorations you were doing? I mean, I think I was just trying to find out more information. Um, Like my parents didn't talk about sex to me. Um, I was watching like R-rated movies when I was very young. So, I mean, I've seen like clips and things, but nothing ever, you know, up close and personal other than these chats. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think these chats pushed me to go a little bit even further. And so I remember just like, with like friends and like cousins even like we we would play like what's that show me yours I'll show you mine (laughs) I remember doing those things but nothing ever really happened it was just more so like we wanted to see we wanted to maybe touch but like not there was never any penetration or no oral or anything like that Mm -hmm. so at some point in here, did you discover masturbation? I think I discovered it a little bit later. I mean, later being like probably 12 or okay. 11. <laughs> um, I think it's probably when I first discovered it. And I actually don't remember much about that. But I, I mean, I have masturbated like probably majority of my life at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And is that a pleasurable experience for you? Do you enjoy masturbation? So I enjoy it. um, Like, I think it's pleasurable. But I also have this like guilt about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the guilt comes from a couple of places. And one part is from my religious background. Like I'm Christian. And like, You know, you're not supposed to masturbate. You're not supposed to have really any premarital sexual thoughts or actions or anything of that nature. So there's guilt from that part. But there's also just this guilt um, where it was not something that was talked about or welcomed in my house. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of hid it. Mm -hmm. Um, So guilt from like hiding it from religious and just from familial or societal expectations. Yeah, it's super confusing to have that pleasurable response at the same time that you're like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. And I think another part of it for me is like, I was when I got older, I started to question like, why do I need to do this to myself when I can have someone else do this to me? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's even another layer. Like, mm-hmm. can I not find someone who can do this to me? Or, you know, what's wrong with me that I can't that someone is not doing this to me? Even though your religious upbringing would tell you that you're not supposed to do that with someone unless you're married, right? Right. But the body wants what the body wants. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Like hormones are a real thing. (laughs) Seriously. Like the urges are real. I'm like, yeah, they are real. And so, I mean, we'll probably get to this later. But when I became celibate, 
like I had urges that, you know, I was like, I'm not going to fulfill this with a sexual partner, but I need to satisfy this urge in some way. And so that is what I did. And, you know, I would kind of punish myself and there were long stints in between the masturbation and I would feel so guilty after I had done it. Mm -hmm. But like the reality is it happened and I felt like I needed it that bad. Interesting. So yeah, I hadn't thought about this before, but the idea of celibacy is not just celibate with a partner, but celibate with yourself as well. Yep, that's all a part of it. Like, it's wow, all the same. Huh? Yeah, I definitely do want to talk about that. But let's let's um, back up a little bit before we get there. And um, talk about the home that you grew up in. Was it a Christian home? So it was Christian for a bit. But honestly, I didn't become a Christian myself until I was like, 23. So, you know, my family went to church for part of my childhood and we had those beliefs in our household, um, the fundamentals like not lying, not cheating, so on and so forth. Although they were not always followed. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't go to church, so to speak, as I got older, but the values still remained. Sure. When you say they weren't always followed, you mentioned lying and cheating. I just want to like follow that up and ask, does that mean that your parents, you saw your parents lying or cheating? Yes. So my parents were, my parents were never actually married um, Mm -hmm. and they were never actually together. So I grew up in a house with a single mother. Okay. Um, I have another sister who has a different dad. Um, My dad wasn't really in my life as a child, but my sister's dad became a part of my life, you know, as we got older. And there were all kinds of lying and cheating happening with him and my mother. Um, And then my mom's, like, biggest love relationship, I mean, 20 years they had been together on and off. But the entire time, he was married. And so these were like the contradictory messages that I was getting about relationships. <laughs> Those still not aligning with our Christian values. Yeah. So that is super confusing. It was very confusing. And then my mom's like belief about love was always so jaded. So I don't know. I was just a very confused child. (laughs) It sounds like you had every reason to be. (laughs) Yes, most definitely. So what, uh, and if it's okay with you, I'm going to call them your parents just to to make it easier for the conversation. Is that okay? To refer to your mom and your, it sounds like he wasn't exactly your stepdad, but. Yeah, that's what I call him. Yes. Okay. Um, So what were you seeing between your parents in terms of affection and intimacy? Like, were they affectionate with each other in front of you? No, Mm. like never. I don't have a ton of memories of them together other than a couple of trips we took. Um, But like the, the biggest memory I have of them is like them fighting like a Mm. physical fight like them like really domestic abuse and so that wasn't a good example for me and you know I felt like I shouldn't even have been around that so young um but yeah like my mama had black eyes you know and it was just not a good situation yeah and add that on top of all of the confusion you already had to look at this primary relationship and see that this is what happens when you love someone, you get hit or you like it becomes physical. Yeah, and luckily, I never had any situations like that. But I mean, I could see my mom struggling and like, I don't know if that's what she 
felt she deserved or like what was going on in her head but I mean I know she she had her reasons and I want to respect that sure Sure. Oh, yeah, there's no judgment on her for staying. I, I also had a mother who stayed in a, a different kind of abusive relationship. And I didn't understand. So my father was emotionally abusive, as opposed to physically abusive. And he was sexually inappropriate. And um, I was really, really angry at my mom through my teen years for staying with him. Because I thought, why doesn't she leave? Why doesn't she take me and protect me from him? It wasn't until I was an adult, and my father had passed away, that she told me that when I was a baby, he had said to her, if you ever leave me, I will take Leah and you will never see her again. Wow. And he had, I mean, he, he had the kinds of connections and skills to make that a, a threat that one would believe. And so her way of protecting me was to stay. If she had left, she potentially would have left me alone with a madman. And so I am eternally grateful to her now for staying and I, I have a great deal of empathy now for any mother who does choose to stay in a relationship because we have no idea what the calculus is that they're dealing with. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, I have to add that to the list of things that I would have asked my mother. But yeah, I never even thought to ask. Um, but I certainly understand, like, she wouldn't have stayed just to stay. Yeah. Um, I'm really sorry that you had to see that and that you and your mom and your sister had to go through that. It sounds really painful. Thank you. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life, and together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. You weren't learning anything really about sex at home, it sounds like. Were you getting any kind of sex education at school? Um, I think the first time I heard about sex at school was ninth or 10th grade. We had a um, health education class. But other than that, I hadn't really learned about sex. I did discover porn Uh before that. (laughs) Thanks to AOL, I'm guessing. (laughs) I mean, I didn't really enjoy watching it, but I mean, I was curious at the time. And 
so I watched a little bit, but nothing really ever came of that. Mm-hmm. So um, where were you? It sounds like you were curious because you were seeking out information at eight years old. Um, where were you getting your information about sex? I honestly think I didn't get actually I think I'm still getting education about sex. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's fair. <laughs> like, there never was a time where it really happened. Um, other than that class in 10th grade, like, I don't ever remember having a conversation with an adult about sex that didn't, you know, that was not about pleasuring me from a partner. Um but no, I haven't really had any education. Is that weird? No, unfortunately, it's really not. Un- I mean, is it weird? Yes. Is it uncommon? No. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the reason I think that we have such difficult marriages or relationships in this culture. And I can't speak to any other culture because this is the only one that I know. But we, even kids who get sex education in school, are primarily getting disease prevention and pregnancy prevention. They're not getting any information about how to have a healthy relationship, how to have a, I mean, I know a lot of people would be super uncomfortable with the idea of school teachers teaching how to have a satisfying sex relationship, but we could at least be teaching kids how to communicate effectively yes. and have a healthy conversation with a partner and that would bleed into how we, that's a really terrible word to use in this context, but, yeah. but that would osmosisize itself into um, being able to have conversations about sex and, and to really communicate our desires. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, really, the only thing I learned in that health education class was that I did not want general warts, mm-hmm. because it looked like cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is pretty much all I got. <laughs> wow. There was no dating in my house, like we were not allowed to date ever. So I don't even remember having a boyfriend until college uh-huh. um my first sexual experience actually was pretty traumatic yeah 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 when i think back to this i'm just like a mess yeah. but so we were in high school and a bunch of my well a small group of my friends there were like four or five of us one of them their parents was going out of town and so somehow we got alcohol this is my first time being drunk and Later that night, I blacked out. And the next morning, I realized I had been violated. Oh, Tanisha. And like, I, I mean, I honestly did not remember anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if we had sex. I didn't know if he just fingered me. Like, I really didn't know anything. And he went to my school. And my school was so small. Like there were a hundred people in our grade. So you knew which one of the boys had done this. Yes, I knew Uh him. But to me, it was just a shock that it even happened because there was never anything between us. And so I don't know what the deal was, but I don't think my friends realized I was violated. Hmm. And so, I mean, I just kind of ignored it and I, yeah, I just kind of put it under the rug for a long time. Yeah. So how do you think about it now? Um, when I talk about it now to people, I mean, I talk about it in the sense like I was raped, essentially. Um, or I say I was assaulted. But I think it was an unfortunate situation. I don't want to like blame myself. But I think I partially do just for being so stupid, like I'm more ashamed of myself for having put myself in that situation. So that is a fairly common response to blame ourselves for not being smart enough or coherent enough, not having said no loud enough, whatever, 
you have a right to get drunk and still assume that your body is your autonomous body, that no one is going to violate you. You definitely have a right to assume that if you get drunk, your friends will advocate for you and not in some way egg him on or stand by and watch or know that something is going on and not intervene. That is, it's not okay in any way. And after that, like when I would have sexual encounters with people, like I really did have to get drunk in order to do it. Or at least that's what I would tell myself. They weren't like pleasurable experiences. It was just like, I was doing this because I was supposed to be doing it, um, which was quite unhealthy. Um, And I think it was a reaction to that situation. Yeah, again, not uncommon. I've really never reflected on my sexual experiences like this. But Mm. I mean, I think honestly, that is what I was doing all before I became celibate. Like that was my MO. Yeah. So how old were you when you decided to become celibate? I was 23 or 24. So it sounds like around the same time that you began to embrace Christianity as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. um, I got baptized and I became a Christian and I went celibate as part of my whole like rebirth. And was that your choice? Or was that something that somebody in the church told you you should do as part of your, I don't know what the word is, baptism? I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that was actually my choice. Um, Mm -hmm. So funny enough, the guy that I was in a relationship with, I wasn't in a relationship with him at this time, but he introduced me to church. And I started going without him at first, after the first time he brought me. Um, But then when we start going together, we would hang out after church. And like the reason we even had this conversation is like we kissed each other and we were like, oh, my God, like this is crazy. And I had to tell him at that time, I was like, look, I don't know like what you're about, but I'm celibate. And I just need you to know that if that affects like where we're going, I just need to put that out there. And he was like, Oh, great. I'm celibate too. So but there was a journey to get to that point. Like I had some pretty like lows, like pretty bad lows in terms of my sexual behavior. Again, I was like drinking and like seeking out these sexual experiences. And I just got to what I would call rock bottom. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And so that is the reason I was even open to the idea of religion. Mm. Um, And so I was like, man, there's got to be something better out there for me. And so I started going into church And it really resonated with me and my life started to turn around. And then I was like, I guess I'm becoming a Christian and I want to embody all of what that means. And so that, you know, that's why I ended up getting baptized and embracing this life of celibacy. (laughs) So, I mean, I was with this guy. We courted for like a year and a half. Um, We're just friends, like my friends laugh at me. They're like, you guys are in a relationship, but we technically weren't. Um, We didn't get into a relationship until after I was baptized and I had gone celibate and all this stuff. Um, But nothing really changed in what, in terms of what we were doing. Like we were essentially still doing the same things, hanging out and, (laughs) you know, hanging out with friends. So I guess they were right. We were already in a relationship. (laughs) You just hadn't called it that. (laughs) Exactly. Like we, he had met my family. Like we were being dumb, but, um, but yeah. And were you kissing or holding hands or anything? So we kissed, we held hands, but that was pretty much. We did dry hump on occasion. (laughs) That was the extent of it. And was that fun? Um, Yes, too fun. Um. (laughs) Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. 
There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. I, I want to hear the rest of what you're saying, but I also want to ask you, uh, I assume at this point you were not drinking. Um, I still drank, but not like, we call it white girl wasted. <laughs> like, I wasn't <laughs> trying to get white girl wasted. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I did have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, um, and that persisted until just a couple of years ago. And when you chose celibacy, did you have a period of time that you expected it to go on? Did you think it would be forever? I mean, it was until marriage. That oh, was okay. the game. It was, I mean, that's really what the Bible teaches is that you're celibate until you're in a married relationship. And so that's what I was planning to do. And I was in a relationship I thought would lead to marriage. With this first guy who we've been talking about? Right. Which okay. is, I think, part of why I was even willing to do it in the first place, because it had, like, an in in yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like that relationship ended. And, yeah, then I was, like, single for... I thought I was going to be single for an eternity. <laughs> um but I was single for quite some time, for about a year and a half after that. And I wasn't even thinking about dating. Like, I really couldn't. I would, I went out on a couple of dates and, like, guys were interested in me. But my mind was just not in it. And I was just, like, so uninterested. <laughs> like, I mm -hmm. could not be less interested. And I started therapy um, to actually work through, like, my grief and so I remember one day I was talking to my therapist on the phone and I told her, I was like, I think I'm ready for love. And she was like, okay, whatever. I was like, this is a big moment. Like, this is huge. It's been a year and a half. Like, yeah. She's like, so be open. Like, you're saying it like this big, like it's this big monumental thing, but I mean, it's really just you opening your heart and allowing the people in who perhaps have been trying to get in this whole time. 
And so literally after I talked to her, it had to be that same week I noticed this guy at school. And I mean, spoiler alert, that is the guy who is now (laughs) my boyfriend. (laughs) But... Yeah, I don't know where you want me to dig in there. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I So my question is, are you still celibate? So no, I'm not <laughs> still celibate. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> we quickly like got into a relationship, I would say within a month. But I was forthcoming and I let him know that I was celibate. But I think in his mind, he knew like, that wasn't permanent. (laughs) (laughs) And funny enough, when I told him I was celibate and I told him it had been like five years that had passed, I was like, whoa, I didn't even realize it had been that long. He told me he had been celibate for two years. And I actually think he told me about his his celibacy first. Um, And I was shocked. Like, to me, he didn't seem like the guy who would be celibate. And was his a chosen celibacy like yours was? Yes, not specifically religious related, but more Mm -hmm. so like he had been burned. So he was like, I'm good. (laughs) I'm done with women. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, y'all are crazy. (laughs) I'm good by myself. his celibacy and like he talks about that all the time it's like yeah I honestly you know I learned how to cook like I can clean I can do all the things myself so I thought I was just gonna be by myself Uh. um and I mean I kind of thought I was going to be by myself also but I didn't learn how to cook (laughs) (laughs) So how did you decide what was the decision and the conversation for you to allow yourself to have sex? Oh, so we had kind of talked about the idea. Um, I mean, we actually kissed on our first date. And so we like we kissed, but usually like a peck or something like we would hang out. We did start dry humping. Um but yeah what was the conversation i'm trying to remember so i had went out of town before he dropped me off at the airport before i went and he was basically like we were kissing and like you know hugging up on each other (laughs) it's like so are we gonna have sex like when Uh we come back (laughs) and i was just like yeah i do want to have sex with you Mm. and so I mean I hadn't thought about it like the whole weekend I was gone but then he picked me up at the airport and he was like so excited (laughs) (laughs) and so do you think did you choose to have sex with him because you think he is a man who you're going to marry or did you choose to let go of celibacy because you're you're done with it for now that's a great question um I chose to have sex with him because I'm done with celibacy. Like, I mean, the the year after my mom my, my mom passed, like I spent a lot a lot of time crying, but I also spent a lot of time just like learning about myself and religion and like really questioning like what it is that I believed, um, and not just what's in this book that was wrote written a million years ago and so I mean really just making I don't the bible real for me it was that God has made us into these sexual creatures and like I am a sexual person (laughs) and I enjoy being pleasured like this to me like is a part of who I am and I mean, I didn't feel like I should just be sharing it with everyone, but I did I did believe that I would share that with someone who meant a lot to me. And so, yeah, I've just, I've given up celibacy in general, um, 
because it just doesn't align with what I believe God created us to be. Interesting. And it sounds like you're having pleasure now during sex. Yes. Yay! When we were talking earlier, I was like, wow, I actually don't even think I orgasmed before. I mean, not from a partner before this guy. And now like that is his priority is like to make me orgasm. Awesome. Which is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't always like not 100% of the time. But and he kind of gets upset when I don't. <laughs> it's totally okay, totally normal to not orgasm every time. Yeah, but I mean, he's happy when I'm happy in that way. And yeah, I think there's still certainly some things that I am working through on the sexual side. But like, sometimes I have to catch myself. Like, I'll say, I don't want to orgasm, you know, Mm. and like, I'll shut my body down. Um, And so I'm still trying to figure out like what, what's going on there. But I have noticed like when I just let go. Yeah, I have a great time, but it does. Sometimes I don't want to. And I'm not sure exactly what's that, what that is related to. Sure. What is a question or concern you have about sex or your sex life in particular? I mean, I wonder if I will ever be 100% healed. So I guess that's a question that I have for the universe is, you know, what that could look like for me and if it will ever happen. You know, that's fascinating that you should ask that because I'm actually right now working on I'm going to be doing a storytelling event um, next weekend. And my story is about exactly that question. Um, it's the dichotomy between is it possible to be 100% healed? And what does that even look like? And is it really true that we are either broken or healed? Or are we somewhere on those like 10,000 steps in between? And in fact, it was my conversation with you when you interviewed me for your podcast that got me started thinking about that because you asked me the question, you've had all this trauma, how did you get healed? And I was like, I'm not healed. (laughs) And that's kind of, I actually think, as I've thought more about it, I realized that I am so engaged with my body and my sexuality now because I'm curious and I want to know what the next step of healing will look like that there's almost a part of me that's like, I don't want to get to a hundred percent healed because like, I want to stay curious. I want to stay engaged. And so, yeah, it's something, it's just interesting. You should say that because that's exactly what I've been thinking about since our last conversation. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, do I want to be healed now? I mean, I think it's a great question, but now you have me thinking if I want to be healed. I, I mean, know. healing, yes, ongoing healing, absolutely. Yeah. But like, is there an end point? I don't know if there's an end point. Yeah. Before we finish up, let's get the lowdown. The questions we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Do you have sex during your period? No, I haven't, but I want to try. Can you orgasm from intercourse alone without any other stimulation? Yes. What kind of touch do you enjoy most? I've never thought about that. <laughs> um, can it be kissing? Absolutely. It can be oh. anything. <laughs> I actually don't know. Um, But I really do enjoy being like kissed, like all over. Nice. Um, Have you ever faked an orgasm? Mm, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm definitely (laughs) sure I have. But not with this guy, it sounds like. 
No, I'm actually pretty honest about it. <laughs> and I'm surprised. Like, I don't know. I actually don't know why people want to go all night long. I haven't really discovered why yet. But I'm just like, I'm tired now. Can we stop? I'm with you. <laughs> In fact, most of the the vagina owners that I have spoken with are the same way. Like, I'm done now. Like, it's getting a little raw. <laughs> yes, too much. Too much. What belief did you have about sex as a child or teenager that wish you wish you could correct her on now? So I believe that having sex and sexual encounters made you a bad person. And now, I mean, I think I would just really tell myself to just be ready to have those kinds of interactions and to be a little bit more mature and know more about yourself and know how to advocate for yourself in the bedroom before having those experiences. Awesome. Tanisha, we've done it. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. You've been great. I'm looking forward to like listening to more of your shows. This is amazing. Thank you. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at goodgirlstalk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>